Amen. Check this out. Let's, uh, you ever play 20 questions? You ever have to guess the answer? Okay, well, whatever. We're going to do that today, Ron. Check it out. It was called, listen, true story. It was called the greatest scab and cancer on the face of Christianity in 2,000 years of church history. Whoa. It was brought on by a class action suit on behalf of more than 160,000 one-time believers who contributed as much as $7,000 each to this so-called ministry over the years that had amassed an empire worth $158 million. However, this so-called Christian ministry didn't appear to be very wise with the use of this money. For instance, it came out that one time they spent more than $100 on the purchase of cinnamon rolls. Oh, oh, not to eat them, just so they could smell them in their hotel room. But not only that, they had a a, a regular practice of spending over $100,000 on a private jet just to fly their clothing across the country. Not them, just their clothes. Then they spent $60,000 in gold-plated bathroom fixtures and thousands of dollars on an air-conditioned doghouse that turned out to be too noisy for the dog, so the dog never even slept in it. And then on top of that, this uh, husband and wife duo received annual salaries of $200,000 each. They even awarded themselves over $4 million in bonuses. And because of this, they own six mansions, lots of luxury cars, and listen, 47 different separate bank accounts. And of course, I'm talking about the church scandal of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Remember that thing? Hey, folks, let's be honest. How many guys after that uh, scandal can never look at eyelashes the same again? You know what I'm saying? Woo! Remember those days? Woo! But seriously, folks, as big as creepy as those eyelashes were, that's not the only scary thing about that scandal. Remember that? Remember what? That was a watershed, unfortunate moment here in America, okay? The creepy thing was how it forever changed overnight, just like that, people's conception and view of the rest of us, the American church. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, ever since that scandal, does not your average person today think the church is full of nothing but weird, greedy hypocrites who only want to swindle you out of your money? Why do they think that? It's because of this scandal, okay? Now, as creepy as that scandal was, okay, did you know there's a scandal even bigger than that? And folks, I'm telling you, here's what's wild. It's not only being repeated every single day. That was a one-time event. But this is being repeated every single day, and it's being repeated by millions of Christians all at the same time. Can anybody guess what that scandal is? It's when you and I act like we got this thing called practical amnesia. Oh, we say we know who we are. This is a church, of course. Right? But folks, let's be honest. Half the times with our lips and our lives, we act like we've actually forgotten who we are. And again, it's not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That can keep people from coming to Christ. So to avoid this atrocity of you and I as Christians living like this practical amnesia by not knowing who we are, we're going to continue in our study from the Word of God on the people of God entitled the character of the church. Okay? Now, if you were here last time, we saw the first thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, is the church is the what? We are the body of Christ. Talk about basic Christianity. You think what everybody would get that, Right? Unfortunately, that's not the case, okay? We saw the American church no longer calls itself the body of Christ. Apparently, that's too simple, right? They say, no, the church is a building. That's a place we go. I'm going to church. No, we are the church. Ecclesia, a group of called out ones. It's talking about people, us. Wherever we go, listen, we're supposed to be a church service to everybody. We gather in a building that we call a sanctuary, but this is not the church. We are the church. Now, that was mistake number one. The second mistake we saw is that we even say that the church is the body of man. And we imply that we belong to us instead of Jesus. 
And that's not just unbiblical, it's blasphemous. As we saw, the Bible is very clear, folks. Jesus Christ is the head or chief authority over not just the entire universe, but the entire church, which is his body. It's his life. He bought it more than fair and square, amen? Which means he calls the shots. He tells us what to do, not the other way around. And when you come here, we're here to worship him. It's not about you getting what you want, right? It's about Jesus. Why? Because we are the body of Christ, okay? That was the first thing. Now, the second thing we need to know, if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, is the church is a body of one. We should be the most unified people, ma'am. You talk about a powerful witness. Is our world messed up today? Is our world divided today? You got Republicans, you got Democrats, you got black, you got whites, you got this group, you got the rich, you got the poor. Well, guess what should never happen in the church? You should never see that. Now, wouldn't that be a powerful witness? Now, I'm not just making that up out of convenience of modern times. Folks, that's exactly what the Bible says we're supposed to be, right? Let's remind ourselves who we are. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is our opening text. And, of course, Ephesians was written to the Ephesians, right? You guys are, you guys are ticking on there. That's great. Okay, it's page 1861 in my Bible, if that helps, as we get ready to stand. And uh, let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 4. Hey, my, my Bible has the heading unity in the body of Christ, right? What a concept, right? Let's take a look here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Here's what Paul says as we stand and read God's holy word. Now, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, Paul says, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Well, how do I do that? How do I say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me from eternal damnation and hell. Well, keep reading. Be completely humble and what? gentle be what patient bearing with one another in love right turn to somebody and say i'm gonna bear up with you i'm having to bear with you right <laughs> you know because the context is the church you bear with one another right then he goes on he says well why do we do that why do we put up with each other right have you guys noticed that we're kind of different hey is anybody sad that the whole church isn't just like me <laughs> yeah you're really glad i wanted to flip it around for you yeah it's a good thing Drive us all nuts. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but, but anyway, so we're all different. And he says, this is what we're supposed to do. Bear up with one another. Be patient. Come on, we're the family of God. But he continues on. He says, here's why. It's just common sense. Because when you got saved, there is what? There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. Okay, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and who is through all and in all. You may be seated if you can. Okay. But man, you talk about being blunt, being clear. How many times did we read the word there? One, one this, one that, right? Not two, not separated, not divided, over and over again. The Bible says that you and I, the church, yeah, we're made up of different bodies, okay, physically, but spiritually, when we get saved in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ, we become a what? A body of one. Again, as we've seen before, a general rule of interpretation, anytime God repeats himself, he's basically screaming from the text. As we've seen before, the only attribute repeated three times in a row for emphasis, all of God's attributes are important, but this one, he says, he is holy, he is holy, he is holy, right? Why? Because you've got to understand the holiness of God. Why, is, why did Jesus have to come and die on the cross? Why is there this thing called the wrath of God? Why is there a place called hell and it's a literal place? Because of the holiness of God. But praise God, he's not just holy, he's love, he's merciful, etc., etc. But man, that's the only one repeated three times. It's a core issue. And so how many times do we see here that we're not just the body of Christ? What? We are one. We are one. We are one. We... So what do you think God's trying to get through our head? 
When we come together as Christians, man, this should be basic Christianity. We are one. We got one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body. We got unity coming out of our ears. Look at those people, man. All different pedigrees and backgrounds, and it's just amazing. Look at how they interact. Now, here's my point. Surely we know that, right? Well, first of all, Pastor Tom, stop calling me Shirley. But seriously, okay. I mean, come on, folks. It, I, you would think we would know that. But let's be honest. You look at most churches today. It doesn't look like we got this unified bond of peace with each other. It looks like we got a divided wall of separation from each other. It's like we got practical amnesia. And so my question is, why would we do this? I mean, this is just basic Christianity, right? Why would the church behave so divisive when a, the very thing that happens immediately when you get saved, no matter who you are, your pedigree, your background, we're all one in Christ. How did it get messed up? Well, thanks for asking. The first reason why is because we give into spiritual favoritism. We give into spiritual favoritism. Okay? Paul warns about this man repeatedly in the body of Christ. We're supposed to be one, but the church was plain favorites. We see this in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, listen to what he says. Scathing rebuke. He says, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. In other words, what do you just call them? You're a bunch of babies. Little babies. Uh, baby men, right? You're, just, you're a bunch of babies. In fact, I, I, listen, listen to this. I, in fact, I even had to talk to you as those you what? As you belong to this world. You're acting like worldly babies. What? Well, why? He says, you're acting like people who don't even belong to the Lord. Because that's what it means when, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul. No, no, no. I, I prefer Apollo. He says, aren't you acting like those who are what? You're not even Christians? What's he saying? Another, you act like that in the church? Is that your attitude when you gather together as the church? Hey, you're acting just like the world. That's what the world does. But not the church. Whoa, that's a pretty serious text. One of the major issues you look at First uh, and Second Corinthians, Paul kept having to confront over and over and over again. It wasn't just false teaching, it wasn't just sinful behavior, but it was this sinful behavior of divisions in the church. Why? Because apparently these Christians were being selective. Listen, let's start to break it down. They were being selective with who they were going to hang out with. You know what the code word for that is? It's called favoritism. Right? And then, of course, you can't say that, so you've got to justify it. Well, see, see I, I'm only hanging out with Paul. I mean, Paul's a little bit more educated like me in my background. I kind of get along with those kind of people. I'm going to stick with those kind of Paul people. No, no, no. I, I like Apollos. I'm gonna, he, he's, he's down to earth. He's more like a country guy. You know, he's just one of those common sense, hardworking people. That, that's the kind of people I'm going to hang out with in the church. And so here's the point. I mean, so surely we know that that was an unfortunate mistake only that the Corinthians made. I mean, it's been recorded there for almost 2,000 years. What a bunch of babies. What a bunch of worldly people. Good thing that they're the only ones that do that. Man, folks, I'm telling you, it is still going on today. Giving into favoritism is not only a problem with the Corinthian church, it's a huge problem in the American church, right? I mean, you've been there. You go to the average church service today, and what do you see? You don't see the family of God mingling together in this blessed unity. No, you see Christian cliques separating each other week after week. And you might be sitting there, well, so what? So, so, so I don't hang out uh, uh, with new people. I, I, I just hang out with the same people week after week after week. So what? What's the big deal? Big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. What our texts say. When the Christians act like this, you're acting like what? You're acting like a bunch of immature, worldly babies. In fact, can we continue with the text? What do he say? You're acting like the lost. 
That's what the world does. You're acting like people who don't know Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're a body of one. We're supposed to be the unified family of God. And because of that, there is no reason for any Christian to come into our midst and ever feel like they're an outsider. In fact, the Bible says we have got to go out of our way to bear with one another, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, and make sure they feel like, man, this place is home. It's like these kids get it. Even the lost get it, which is very unfortunate. But true story, listen to this. Ian, he was a, a, a fifth grade boy in Oceanside, California. And one day he got the news that he had cancer. And so having no choice in the matter, he immediately began the process of chemotherapy. And if that wasn't bad enough, Ian faced the reality of having his hair fall out in clumps. So he had to shave his head. And so obviously this is, of course, you can imagine, it's not a very cool thing to have to deal with as a fifth grader, right? But then that's when, true story, one of Ian's classmates, Kyle Hanslick, got an idea. And he said, if all of us boys in the fifth grade have our heads shaved, then nobody will know who's who. They won't know who has cancer and who doesn't. So Kyle and the rest of the fifth grade boys made their manly decision. All 13 went to the barbershop and had their heads shaved too. Why? Because as Kyle said, quote, the last thing Ian needs now is to feel like he doesn't fit in. Now that is, praise the Lord, a cool story. It really happened. But my question is this. Those boys understood the importance of just a basic need for people to, to fit in somewhere. But my question is, why is it a group of fifth grade boys can get it, but the American church can't? Why is it that 10-year-olds can sacrifice and shave their heads for a boy with cancer, but we can't even shake the hand of a fellow Christian? People, there is no excuse for a Christian to ever come in our midst and ever feel like an outsider when they go to church services. Why? Because the Bible is clear. Our God-given unity in Christ ensures that no matter who we are, we always have a place to fit in. But the longer we give into favoritism, we don't just cease to be a body of one. Listen, here's what we're doing. Can we just call it for what it is? We're acting like a body of snobs. And that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The second thing we do, the reason why we behave so divisive is like, what's it, what, have you forgotten who you are? Right? We don't only give into uh, favoritism, we give into spiritual elitism. Right? Spiritual elitism. Right? But hey, praise God, the early church, they didn't have none of that baloney. And because of that, fantastic things took place. Right? And this is what we see in the book of Acts, right? That's where the church was born, Acts chapter 2. Well, what were they doing? Well, look at how they lived with, amongst each other. Acts 2, 44 and 46 and 47. And all the believers, how many? All the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. Wow. They worshiped together at the temple. How many times? Just on Sundays. That's all the time I got for. Hey, if you're lucky, if things work out, maybe on a Wednesday night. What? This was a way of life. You didn't categorize your walk with Jesus Christ. You didn't give it time limits. It's just who you are now. Ooh, I can't wait to worship Jesus. Every day they did that. And then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, right? They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. No wonder who wouldn't want to be a part of that group. Man, that's awesome. And what happened? What's the result of Christians living like that? Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Whoa, this is an awesome text, man. This is the early church. One of the reasons why we see here the early church experienced so much growth was because of what? 
The church not only lived in harmony with each other uh, in services, uh, church services, but, but get this, they, they carried that harmony right out into their homes. They met together. Nobody had to twist their arms. Nobody had to make 55,000 announcements. Automatically, they got together outside church services. Like they were a family, like they loved one another. What a concept. Wow. And what was the result? Man, every single day, every day. Every single day, because of this unified behavior, people came to check out what was going on with these people. I mean, they were just like us. Different ages, different sizes, different backgrounds, right? And then, man, it didn't take long to create a stir. Hey, did you hear about those guys over here? Every single day, they're going to the temple. Man, they love each other. They're sharing everything they got. They're even meeting. They're, they're even doing it outside the synagogue, right? They're, they're everywhere you go. You see them in the community. They're happy. They're, they love each other. They take care. I mean, and what's the point? People are going, hey, can I have that? I don't have a family like that. I got people who don't even want to be around me. Can, can I have that? You can see the powerful witness, right? No wonder every day people were getting saved. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that group. And so here's the point. I mean, surely we're doing the same thing, right? I mean, that example, I mean, we all say, hey, we want to grow. We want to grow. Well, there's your example. Live like that. And every day people will be getting saved. Wouldn't that be fantastic? We know this, right? Unfortunately, I don't know. We got some problems, folks. Giving into elitism is a huge problem in the American church as well. Again, you go in the average church service today, what do you see? You don't see the family of God excited to see new people coming to praise God most high. Are you kidding me? You see them giving visitors the old cold shoulder and the deadly evil eye, especially if they sat in my pew. And you think they're going to want to come back? And you think, well, it's okay, so what, Pastor? So what? What's the big deal? So I'm not the warmest welcome wagon to every new person that walks through these doors into this sanctuary. In fact, to be honest with you, secretly, I could give a rip about new people. Really? No big deal, huh? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Read the Bible. Remember who we are. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be a body of one. We're the unified family of God. And because of that, there is no reason for even newcomers who come into our midst to ever feel like an outsider. And you know why? Turn to somebody and say this. God wants somebody else saved besides you. Go ahead. Seriously. We need to remind ourselves that. Did you know that? God likes other people besides us being saved. It's called the Great Commission, not the Grand Suggestion. Right? And so they come, and here's an opportunity. It's not about you. Maybe that's why God brought them here, so they could get saved. He wants other children in his family besides us. And that's why, folks, the Bible says we need to go out of our way to not just make sure that Christians feel like the family here but even at the initial point, if non-Christians come in our midst, they should feel like a family as well. We should be the biggest, warmest welcome wagon this world has ever seen. Like this. On a Sunday, a college student, a guy named Mike, he decided to go to church services across the street from his dorm. And so being a college student all, he showed up at his regular attire. He didn't know. Right? He, 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 which included torn up jeans, a t-shirt, and some pretty wild looking hair. Right? And uh, he didn't have any shoes on. Oh. So he got there, and not only had the service already started, but the sanctuary was completely packed, and he couldn't even find a seat. 
But he didn't want to give up, so he just started down the aisle, getting closer and closer and closer to the pulpit. Well, by now, all eyes were on him, and the congregation was getting very uncomfortable at his presence, right? And since Mike couldn't find a seat, I kid you not, he just squatted right down on the carpet right in front of the pulpit. Well, by now, the, the people in the congregation are really uptight. The tension in the air is thick, and it was about this time that a deacon sitting way in the back of the sanctuary, he got up out of his pew, and he starts heading towards that boy. And uh, uh, he, he wore this elegant uh, three-piece suit and all. And so here he is. He's approaching the boy. And you can hear the congregation muttering as he's making his way up there, right? Uh, you, you can't blame him for what he's about to do. I mean, how can you expect uh, us to put up with some college kids sitting at the floor? And as the deacon makes it way to where Mike was sitting, the whole congregation was silent. You could hear a pin drop. But suddenly... All of a sudden, this deacon lowered himself, sat right down next to Mike so he wouldn't have to worship God alone. And then the preacher gets up, listen to this, and he says, what I'm about to preach, unfortunately, you'll probably never remember. But what you just seen, you will never forget. Why? Because that's how we're supposed to be. I mean, that's when people start getting saved, man. When we could live out that which who we are is the church of Jesus Christ. And here's my point. I mean, that deacon, that deacon did a fantastic job of welcoming that newcomer. Amen? But my question is this. Why is it that that old deacon uh, can get up but the American church can't? Why is it that that man can sacrifice his own comfort zone and sit on the floor with a strange boy, but we can't even share a pew with a stranger? People, there is no excuse for anybody, Christian, even non-Christian, to feel like an outsider when they come amongst our midst. Why? Because God says that no matter who they are, what they are, he wants them to come to him and be saved just like he did with us. Have we forgotten what shape we were in before we got saved? Or are you just now more mature and cleaned up and you look so religious that those people kind of get on your nerves? Shame on us if that's our attitude. And folks, I'm going to call it out again. The longer we give into this attitude, this is elitism. Not just favoritism, this is elitism because of those people. We don't just cease to be a body of one. Can I tell you what we're doing? Now we're not just acting like a body of snobs. We're acting like a body of bigots. God is not deaf. He's not blind. He sees in the dark. You realize this, don't you? Do you think he's pleased if that's the way we're acting? And you wonder why people aren't getting saved every day. Maybe it's because we've forgotten who we are. Let me give you one more. It gets, unfortunately, worse as we go. The church is messed up today, folks. The third reason why we behave so divisive is because we give into spiritual racism. Oh, this one drives me up a wall, okay? And that's exactly how we're not supposed to be ever Okay, and this is the wonderful truth when we get saved that Paul brings out, right? Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 28. You get saved through Jesus Christ. What happens to you? The moment you get saved, woo! So you are what? You are all, how much is all? All children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Isn't that awesome? That God accepts anybody who they are, whatever their pedigree, right? And, and you talk about, talk about a powerful witness our world needs to see today. 
Not just you, you welcome Christians together as a family and non-Christians come in our midst. This is the warmest place you'll ever experience in this world. But here we have the opportunity where our world right now, our country is so split and fractured and messed up. And, but when they come here, they go, whoa, this is how our country should be. This is how they should be. I mean, look at these. This is one of the most revolutionary truths. Listen, you will never find in the world but you're supposed to find in the church that the moment you get saved through Jesus Christ, he erases all gender, all racial, all ethnic barriers. They are forever removed and therefore the opportunity to become a part of God's family is open to anyone and everyone and we get together. I don't care who you are. Woo! We should give each other a hug and, you know, in fact, we should just do what, what these little kids do. Watch this. 26-month-old Maxwell and 27-month-old Finnegan, pure joy at the sight of one another, running to give each other a hug much bigger than their size. The innocence of it all is exactly why it's going viral. Isn't that cool? This whole thing, I don't know if you saw that, man, but that, that's, 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 you know, we open the services, start, man, doesn't matter who you are. I mean, even babies know this truth, right? I mean, so surely Christians, we know that. You, 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 red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in Jesus' sight. We sing songs about it, right? Well, hopefully that's true here. Folks, giving into racism is a huge problem in the American church. I won't tell you which church service or church it was that I pastored before, but it made me sick when I first saw this. And that particular ethnic group that was put on the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, and even the leadership was infected with it. You're a bunch of racists. And they looked down on the Hispanic community. It just blew me away. Unfortunately, folks, that's rampant across our country still to this day. It blows me away. I mean, have you ever experienced it? I'm assuming, unfortunately, I'm not the only one, Right? You go to the average church service, what do you see? You don't see the family of God advancing his love to all kinds of people. You see them retreating behind stained glass windows and big old steeples. It's just for our kind, our color. Excuse me? And again, maybe you're thinking, well, so, so what? So I don't reach out to different people, you know, for Christ. I, frankly, I'd be honest with you, I could give a rip about reaching anyone. Whoa. Folks, I'll tell you what that big deal is. We are a body of one. We are the unified family of God because that there is no reason for anyone, I don't care what color, what pigmentation, because that's all it is, to feel like an outsider when they come amongst our midst. Why? Because God not only wants other children to be saved, he wants a variety of children, a variety of sizes and colors and shapes and sizes besides us. That's the body of Christ. And that's why the Bible says we need to go out of our way to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel. Another true story. I've shared this before, but this is the most amazing, amazing testimony. This was in the 50s, man. In the 50s, before segregation, all that stuff. The 50s, this was going on in North Carolina. True story. He said, a friend of mine named Clarence Thomas in the 50s, he, he, he was once invited to go to a church service in North Carolina. And this was prior to all the civil rights movement, the 60s and segregation, you know, before that was all really prevalent. And, but much to his surprise, when he got there, he discovered that the congregation was totally integrated, 50-50, black and white. 
And given the times, he was surprised at this, especially in North Carolina, where racism was so extreme. And so when the service was over, he asked the old hillbilly preacher there, he says, well, how did you guys get this way? And the old hillbilly preacher said, well, what way? And Clarence said, well, you know, black people, white people together, how'd this happen? The preacher began a story. He said, I'll tell you how we got this way. You see, we were a small church and we, were, we had about 20 members. Well, Clarence said that there were hundreds and hundreds in the congregation that night. But the preacher continued, he says, well, one day our preacher died and, and we couldn't get a new preacher know how. So, so after two or three months, I, I went to the deacons and I told them that the, if they couldn't get a preacher, that I'd be the preacher. So they let me preach. He says, so I got up there that next Sunday and I just opened my Bible and I, I put my finger right where it laid down and it landed on this verse. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor free, female, that everyone is one in Christ Jesus. He says, and I told that church that message. And when the church is the true church, that they don't know any of these racial divisions. They don't know any of these ethnic divisions that everybody's one in the church of Jesus Christ. I preached that to them. And after the service was over, he said, the deacons called me in the back room and they told me they didn't want to hear that kind of preaching no more. And Clarence said, well, what'd you do then? And the old hillbilly preacher said, I fired those deacons. (laughs) He said, if a deacon's not going to deacon, an elder's not going to eld, you got to fire them. And Clarence said, well, well, how come they didn't fire you? And the preacher said, because they never hired me. (laughs) And he says, listen, and once I found out what bothered those people, I gave it to them every week. Ooh, that's good. He said, they put up with it. The old hill preacher said, oh, I preach that church down to four. (laughs) And then he says this. He says, you know, sometimes people revival begins in the church. Not when you get a lot of new people in the church. Sometimes revival begins when you get a lot of the old people out of the church. And Clarence said, well, what happened then? He said, well, the old hillbilly preacher said, well, from then on, we wouldn't listen. We wouldn't let anybody in that church listen unless they really love Jesus. And Clarence said, well, how, how could you tell people really love Jesus? And the preacher said, well, well, when people love Jesus, they love each other no matter who the other person is. Why? Because that's just basic Christianity, man. When we get saved, we're all one in Christ. No Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female. It doesn't matter what color. Who cares? Come on in. And revival broke out. But my question is this. How come an old hillbilly preacher back in the 50s can get this? But the American church still today can't. Why is it that a church in the South is willing to share God's love to anyone and everyone, but the rest of us won't? We don't need revival in America. We need revival in the American church. Why? Because we can't stop playing church instead of being the church. And it is high time that the world sees us Christians acting like who we're supposed to be in Christ. We're a body of one. We love people. We forgive people. And we even hug people. Like this Christian did. This is wild. This just happened. Take a look at this. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because 
I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. That's what our world is waiting to see from us. And not just in a courtroom, but every time they come in our midst in a church service. He didn't just forgive her. He hugged her. I think he meant it from his heart when he said, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is you to get saved through Jesus Christ. I truly wish the best for you. I'm not even asking for you to be punished. I'm just showering you with Christ's love because he gave the same to me. Can you imagine if we live like that? Not just one momentary special event and that was fantastic. Broadcast to this world. But imagine if every Christian did that and every church service, that's how we lived every time we gathered. And so every time some lost person came in our midst, you, you know what my theory is? Bang! Revival will bust out across this nation. Because who wouldn't want to be a part of that kind of family? And can I tell you something? Because we refuse to live like that. You wonder why revival is still not coming to our country. Folks, I'll say it again. We do not need revival in the American, uh, our country. We need revival in the American church. And I'll say it again, if you can't stop playing church instead of being in church, maybe it's time you get out of the church. Why? Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say, what we do, how we live affects people's eternal destinies all around us. And so we've got to get rid of our practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of snobs, bigots, or racists. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We are a body of one. Let's be that body for Vegas and around the world. And watch what happens. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell, and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy, and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. 
So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, 
they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.